0: You're listening to Agriculture, a podcast that interviews a range of inspirational people from the farming community with a whole host of interesting tales to tell. I'm Mary Jane Laurie, and in this episode, I'm joined by Sammy Kinghorn, MBE. Sammy is a farmer's daughter and Team GB wheelchair racer from the Scottish Borders. We spoke the week after she was back from the Commonwealth Games, where she won bronze in the 1500 metres. We chatted about her childhood on the farm, the accident that left her paralysed, and how she got into wheelchair racing. She has such a special bond with her dad, who instilled a love of nature and farming into her at a young age, and now he supports her with her career. Welcome, Sammy. I'm delighted to be talking to you today as part of our agriculture series. You're fresh back from the Commonwealth Games. Congratulations on winning the bronze and the 1500 metres. How was that experience? Uh, Thank you. You It was really, really cool. Um, Obviously, we've
1: been racing for the last few years without with minimal minimal crowds and in yeah. Tokyo with no crowds at all. So the last time I probably raced in a stadium with crowds was probably 2018 in the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games. Okay. So it's actually been like a really long time. So going out into the stadium, like 30,000 people, it was like full wow. the night I was there. And I like nearly started bawling my eyes out because I just couldn't I couldn't believe it. It's I would almost kind of got I don't know, I think after Tokyo I remember racing and almost been like I don't know why I'm doing this like it was such like a weird feeling because like I won a medal and then I was just kind of like
0: yeah
1: there's no one here to really celebrate with
0: I guess being in the UK this year a lot of your family and friends could have traveled to see you as well it's not quite so far to go for people to come and support you
1: yeah exactly I had like 20 friends and family there to watch me which was really really nice yeah exactly and it's yeah it's so much easier it's pretty much a home games you know we're not that far away so yeah it was really really lovely I really enjoyed the whole experience
0: Yeah, so we're in a bit of a relaxation mode now after that, just to (laughs) come down from Clyde 9 a wee bit. Yeah, pretty much. It's just
1: trying to get back to normal life again and uh, relax a little bit and then slowly start picking up training again.
0: So taking us back to the start, can you tell us a bit about your background? You're from the Borders. I'm a fellow Borders girl myself from a farm in the Borders too. Can you tell us what your childhood was like and what your family farm's like?
1: Yeah, uh, so I was brought up in the Scottish Borders um, on a farm called Middle, Middle Third Farm. Yeah, the owners are, um, the, well, Mr. and Mrs. Tweedy is what I'll always call them, and if I find it really <laughs> strange to call them anything else. But the Tweedies <laughs> are who run the farm, and my dad is a farm manager on that farm. I don't know, they treat my dad like he's their son, and it's a really lovely... It was a beautiful place to grow up, you know, a thousand acres to run and play and um, not really any limits of where I could go. So, yeah, you know, I literally would just finish school. I'd pull on my old clothes, my welly boots, and I would just try and find my dad on this farm. And I just I ran everywhere and just was that kid that wanted to be wrapped around my dad's leg at all times. You know, oh. <laughs> I think my mom was so excited to have a little girl and I was not the little girly girl that my mum had <laughs> dreamed of but yeah I was I was the little tomboy that my dad always wanted.
0: <laughs> and was it it's a sheep farm is that right?
1: Uh, so it's actually mixed yeah we've got sheep okay. cows and arable so um a bit of everything but for me my brother really enjoyed the tractors and I was not trusting the tractors because I'd get in and then to me, I'd, my favourite question was why and then I just wanted to press every button <laughs> so I think my dad used to just get a bit overwhelmed with me going in tractors with them and then I wasn't trusted to sit in the tractor myself because I wanted to press all the buttons I used to just get bored so quickly but with the animals was just something that um, I really thrived on um, especially lambing like season I used to take time off of school I'm terrible now but my dad would yeah let me take time off school to do to the night lambing for my dad and I felt like it was always quite a big deal that my dad trusted me because yeah. he... Really loves farming, like it's um something. If you ask my dad about farming, you can tell straight from the way he looks at you these eyes that how much he actually really genuinely loves the animals, and he gets really upset if if they do die or if there's something he's not able to help them with. So being trusted to do a night lambing all on my own was a really big deal, is when I was a child.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That is a big responsibility because presumably you were quite a young teenager when you were doing that as well, were you? Yeah, definitely. I probably started doing the night
1: lambing when I was about. Um, like 12 13 years old wow. um and it was always like see if I had to phone my dad to ask him for help for me that was like a big letdown I was like no I need <laughs> to be able to do this on my own and um, being proud of like being able to get a, a really tricky lamb out and be able to show my dad the next morning that you know I, I was able to get this out and I was able to stitch her back up or like a, you know look at yeah. what I've done that was always like I, I knew and my dad was really proud of me and I was always really chuffed with that and it meant also like I got to take friends home and and teach them you know teach them the things that my dad taught me and yeah. I used to love that although we're from like the Scottish borders are quite a farming area not everyone knows a lot about farming so I used to love taking my friends back and and showing them what I'd done on the farm and I was always really really proud of that.
0: So you're obviously really involved and, and quite independent when you were younger on the farm did you see yourself having a career in agriculture?
1: Yeah so I think um what my plan was anyways was that I wanted to do my dad was a started off doing hill lambing and farming and i really quite fancied doing a little bit of that so that was something um that i was quite keen to to get my hands on was trying to do that and then um i also was quite keen in the fact to go maybe going and um, doing the rolling and stuff for the clipping and, and doing australia and new zealand and that kind of stuff trying to get myself on on a table and do that kind of thing but overall i i actually want to be a zoologist so okay yeah I, I used to tell my dad that like dad I've, I've dealt with small animals like I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go and be a zoologist to deal with the big animals and um, yeah like I think it wasn't just like farming that dad, dad kind of read into me it was the love for for all animals and there was always things that we watched on the telly and then um, I think Steve Irwin was like my biggest inspiration growing up and um, like I genuinely mourned him when he passed away and I was yeah. so upset and yeah. Um, yeah it was a really nice thing that my dad gave me that passion for all animals, not just farming animals, you know, dogs, cats, everything I was very passionate about.
0: It's interesting. I grew up on a farm as well and, and also got a similar passion from my dad. And I, I thought about studying zoology and I focused in eventually on conservation biology. Mm-hmm. And I work a lot with biodiversity stuff on farms. So it's small scale compared to some of the, you know, the amazing animals that we have around the world. But it is a really I think farming, growing up in farming gives you that sort of background, doesn't it? Especially when there's animals on the farm that you just have a real respect for nature, don't you?
1: yeah absolutely and i think i was i was taught from such a young age to respect the animals and then what they give us you know i was you know i was my dad never like he never tried to lie to me and what we were doing on the farm and he was always really genuinely respectful of my like choice and decisions because of course like every animal i remember dad um the first time that we, we put the sheep onto the lorry and dad explained to me exactly where they were going and what was happening and i remember just being like oh yeah. no like how am i going to deal with this and i was vegetarian for about two days <laughs> but like he never tried to like sway me from that decision, you know. When I, I remember being like, "That's it, I can't, I can't possibly eat meat, I can't possibly do that." And he was like, "Okay, that's your decision." And he never, he never mimicked me for that. He never made me feel like, "Well, this is farming and this is what you have to be and have to do." And he just let me come to like always let me come to my own decisions. And I think because I've seen how well looked after the animals were on my farm and how much my dad loved them. I don't know. I just, I just always respected him for that, and I respected the way that he looked after his animals, and the respected the way that he always let me come to my own decision about how I wanted to be.
0: So life changed for you a little bit. We all know that farms can be a dangerous place. Can you tell us a bit about the accident that you had on the family farm?
1: Yeah. So um, I was fourteen years old. Uh, it was the second December two thousand and ten. I'm sure many people can remember, especially in the Scottish borders, well, pubs should all Scotland, what. The, the winter of 2010 was like it was yeah um, yeah more snow than I'd ever seen before in my life and yeah. every time we woke up there was just inches and inches more and it just honestly at some point we were like this is never going to stop it was um, crazy wasn't it yeah I couldn't believe yeah. it honestly it was yeah. it was incredible and so sad like really really sad yeah but I was meant to be doing exams at school at the time and mm-hmm. um, so one of my friends my best friend Karis had uh, come over to study. All our exams got cancelled, um, so I was thinking, fantastic. Um, and then my friend got snowed in. We were meant to be getting picked up. We are genuinely meant to be getting picked up um, the night before my accident because we were going to go watch Harry Potter in the cinema. Oh, wow. Um, And her dad couldn't get in to get us. He got stuck. So he, yeah, he couldn't come and get us. So if she was fully stuck in my house. That was the night before my accident. And I remember that night she'd like straightened my hair. Um, we were like just playing around we were dancing around in my my bedroom being like typical 14 year olds staying up till late and then sleeping until far too long in the morning um <laughs> and I remember my dad waking us up and just saying like we've had so much more snow can you please come help us out like pretty much dig out the dogs because he obviously couldn't do everything himself so yeah we got changed quickly got up and went outside and it was just like devastation I think like we had like nine to ten foot drifts like you couldn't see the sheep dad was trying to move them into the forest trying oh, to gosh. help all the animals and it was just um really really horrible and that even the dog kennels like we were just trying to get the snow out of the dog kennels and trying to put them somewhere warm and wow they, yeah I don't know I just I remember all the animals genuinely just looking quite panicked and quite scared and my dad looked terrified and didn't really know what to do either um but yeah so I I walked down to the farm with my friend to, to pick up some more dog food and as I was on my way back up my dad was driving behind me in a forklift and um yeah still to this day I've absolutely no idea because it's not something that I'd never done before I was always um taught about the dangers of machinery um and machinery is nothing I was that interested in it's something I never went anywhere near I was always a very very curious child but I was always kind of told that they don't have any mercy for human life so you don't touch them Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and my dad kind of told me pretty plainly that um but for some reason, um, probably just showing off being a fourteen-year-old in front of my friends, in front of the other kids in the cottages, um, I climbed onto part of the forklift. So okay. I um I jumped onto the part just where, um, like the boom uh, joins onto the forklift. So I was in like the the joint of where the the arm comes out of the forklift.
0: Okay, like, like right like underneath that. the boom, basically. Yeah, right oh, underneath.
1: Wow. Yeah, yeah, right wow. in the the right in the joint um yeah. and, and still to this day like me and dad will talk about it and I'm like, because that didn't stop at any point and um, mm-hmm. i have no idea how i got on um, and yeah. i remember i started to walk really slowly in front of him um, just trying to put him off his job a little bit just annoying him. And he was beeping his <laughs> horn and we were laughing um and then as my friend walked off to the side i just decided to jump on i was certain that my dad had seen me um absolutely certain and he started to like bring the boom down he started to carry on his job and clear the snow and I remember feeling the immense amount of pressure on the back of my neck I remember doing this like frantic laugh because I, I I thought he was joking like I thought because my dad done silly things like he'd hang us over stuff and be like oh like that kind of thing so I thought yeah. he was joking and I was like ha, ha, ha like this really strange frantic laugh um but just panicked and started to get more and yeah. more panicked and panicked as the pressure just grew and grew and yeah and just screaming dad 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 Um, and then I watched as the shuffle hit hit the ground and I remember just closing my eyes, um, and genuinely believing in that moment that I was going to die. I think like before I wasn't, I wasn't scared. I wasn't, um, I wasn't in pain. I was, I was genuinely really angry. I was, um, really upset with myself and angry because it was just like, you're an idiot and you've done this to yourself. Like, you're going to die. Yeah. And everything, like, it, I'm sure it only happened. I'm sure it was a second it happened him. But to me, it, it went so slowly. And I remember, like, having every thought thinking, gosh, I'm going to die right now. And my dad's going to have to try and live with this. Like, my dad loves his job, but he loves me more. And I've ruined yeah. both of these things for him. And it was guilt. It was genuinely like a sickness. And the pit of my stomach was the first feeling that I felt before before fear before anything else it was it was genuinely guilt and I remember closing my eyes and just thinking okay this is this is it just being disappointed in myself and um, my dad shoved up some snow and then he started to bring the, the bucket up again and I remember seeing the light um like come like piercing in because at this time my head was like pretty much in my crotch like I had been completely crushed in half
0: oh my goodness
1: um, and I remember lifting my head up and seeing seeing the light and seeing the snow and thinking, right, I need to get out now. I need mm-hmm. to get out now. At that point I um I couldn't really feel my legs, but I could still move them. Okay. I remember swinging my legs and throwing myself off and knowing that, you know, I had to I had to run out and I had to run left so that Dad would see me. So I ran away out and then um I slipped and I fell into a pile of compacted snow. Um and I remember I laid there on the ground, literally just like making half snow angels, just like screaming. And my dad coming out to me and not really understanding what do it, what was happening. I think he th- yeah. I think at that time, I think he thought that he'd hit me with the bucket. Nice. Um, or that I'd just slipped and fall and he didn't really understand the severity of what happened. Um, um and then he, dad carried me inside and he sat me on top of the washing machine. I remember bending, but like not from my waist from like my ribcage, like backwards. Oh, um gosh. And just not knowing that I wasn't, nothing was keeping me um, together anymore. So I remember dad seeing that and being like, oh my goodness, laying me on the floor, being taken to our local hospital. And...
0: Did they have just... to airlift you out? Because I'm assuming the roads must have been horrendous. It must have, the whole thing must have just been...
1: So yeah, so my dad actually had to go go out. He had to go back and they didn't have um, a helicopter ready. So okay. dad had to go out back out and clear the snow in the forklift
0: oh my um,
1: goodness yeah so he was running up and down the road trying to spread salt and clear the road as much as he could to to allow an ambulance getting in and mm-hmm. uh, one ambulance got stuck so then they had to send another ambulance and eventually they got through to me but yeah I have uh, no idea what a panic that must have been like yeah yeah I was just driven by ambulance I was airlifted the next day to the spinal unit but I was driven by ambulance to our local hospital okay and I remember um yeah, like lay there in hospital and um I was like so aware, like I knew I'd broken my back and I knew that I wasn't gonna walk again. But I have no idea why or how I knew that because I'd never met anyone in a wheelchair before and because I'd never met anyone in a wheelchair before, I genuinely believed in that moment that I was gonna be stuck in bed forever. Um okay. had no idea about mobility equipment or I'd seen a walking stick, but uh, I was very aware that my legs weren't moving, so I was like, Well, you no, know, that's not gonna work for me, is it? Um yeah, I genuinely believed that I was going to be stuck in bed forever. But I think one thing that growing up a farm gives you, I think um my my mum and dad I don't like because my mum uh, was a carer and my dad was a farmer, they worked a lot, so we kinda had to grow up quite quickly. And I think most young farmers do, you do mm-hmm. kinda because yeah. you have quite a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Quite quite early on. And um I was always very, very aware of um of um Consequence, mm-hmm. um you know, if if I, if I was to do something, you know, mom and dad didn't have time to sit and say to me, right, why did you do like, I, you know, there was a consequence to everything, you know, if yep. I'd done something silly, you were grounded. There was a consequence. There was always consequence, you know. They didn't have time to pick me up and say, oh, darling, like you know, they just didn't have time. It wasn't that they they didn't like squeeze me and hug me, you know, they did every single day. But if I was doing something silly. I had to learn quickly because they didn't have time to hold my hand every single day and be like, no, don't do that. Be careful. You know, they just didn't. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so if I'd done something silly, it was like, well, you've bruised your leg because you climbed up on that and this is your consequence. You've got to sort of like, it was yeah. just, that's, that's kind of how I was, I was, um, how I was brought up. And yeah, when I had my accent, I lay there in bed and I think I had nobody to blame but myself. And this was my consequence. And that's kind of how I, I got over it so fast. And, I think you know when my mum came in my mum was just screaming and crying my baby my baby we're so sorry and my dad couldn't even look at me um yeah and I think in that moment I knew that if I started crying then they probably wouldn't ever stop and it was it was my fault I made a very silly mistake and I'll never be able to explain why I made that silly mistake or why I chose I to do that in the decision. but.
0: That's A lot of weight I to did. take on some young shoulders at that age. To, to that's a very mature attitude to it, and you must just be an incredibly resilient person. Because at that age, I'm assuming the spinal unit it was BGH you were taking to initially, it was the spinal unit in Edinburgh, you'd be or Glasgow, is it? You'd Glasgow. be away from home, yeah, yeah, quite a long way from home from your family. And at a young age, it must have been really difficult for you all, especially your dad and, and, and your mum. And I guess we we're back at home on the farm, and
1: yeah, um, I think, yeah. um, I think because like, people always say to me, it must have been so difficult being so young, but I think mm-hmm. it's probably easier, because I was so young, because I didn't understand, um, like, in that moment, my mum and dad are thinking, gosh, how is she going to be independent, you know, how is yeah. she going to go back to school, how is she going to, like, make friendships, how is she going to get a boyfriend, how is she going to get a job, What like, they're thinking about my whole life, but as a 14 year old, I was just thinking about, oh, this is a bit rubbish, like, you know, yeah, I, I yeah. didn't, I, you know, I imagine um, if you're, you know, 30 years old or 30, however, if you're a lot older and you had responsibilities, you know, if you had a house, had a mortgage, had children, had work, I imagine that's harder. I had no responsibilities. I was 14 years old and just thinking, well, that's a bit rubbish. Oh, well, well, I'm getting a bit time off school. I've got to, <laughs> to I've got a little trip away up to Glasgow. I think, I think as a youngster, you take it more day by day
0: yeah uh, that's probably because probably are not yeah. having
1: to think so much in advance and I think I think the, th- the things I found the hardest was like not getting to hang out with my friends genuinely I was, je- yes. I was the thing i struggled the most with was being jealous that my friends were going out to house parties and I wasn't getting to do that but I got to meet so many incredible people and um start this really strange cool life but especially when you're in the spinal unit you're in this bubble and you're not really aware of things being different because everything's adapted in the spinal unit so like okay. I had six months of just like quite a a nice little time of just like there was no steps and um I was learning how to be me again and I was having all these people around me and people come up to visit me and it was all quite about me and at fourteen yeah. years old that was quite a nice feeling whereas I imagine in that time for my mum and dad they were probably thinking about the rest of my life and how is that going to pan out. And every night I'm sure they were struggling to go to sleep because they had this immense amount of like worry and anxiousness over what the rest of my life was going to be like and I think I was trying to push that because I at that time I wasn't particularly scared I wasn't particularly you know and I don't want people to think I don't know feel sorry for me I think I've, I think sometimes I get upset that people forget about my mom and dad and what they must have been feeling like because I imagine yeah. that was so much harder in that moment um than it was for me I think after I left the hospital and there was a lot more barriers put in my way and I had that like oh my gosh I am a bit different and I had to learn how to to go back into my old life then that time was probably a little bit more difficult for me um, yeah. but in then six months
0: were you able to go back to school and things yeah I was really lucky um that I had literally we just got a brand new school um because oh that's right yeah because I went to Dun, the Virtual high school in Dun's as well and we were in the old building across the road and then they built built a brand new one didn't they so were you one of the first years to go in yeah so I actually went to Eros high school oh okay but it was the same same thing they, they built that yeah. yeah they
1: built the brand new school so I'd literally just went into the new school and um, a few few oh, wow. months before
0: so it was a lot more accessible and and yeah just better yeah, designed I w-
1: yeah I wouldn't have been able to go back to the old school which would I think would have been a really really difficult thing to do oh, Um yeah absolutely find somewhere else
0: so going from hospital and and your rehabilitation and back home how did you then get into athletics so i when i
1: was in the spinal unit there's this thing called the spinal unit games happens every year in um, in april and it's down in stoke mandeville where obviously the paralympic movement started and it's all the hospitals in scotland england wales and ireland and they all come together i think they select about 10 patients of that year um, and they compete against each other, um, and the way they win okay. is you try out as many sports as you can. You literally get the sheet, and it's like a little ticky sheet. Um, mm-hmm. And when you've tried a sport, you get a tick on it. And then whatever hospital has tried the most sports and gets the most points, and they kind of point you on um, how good you are or how much well, you've tried really. and that kind of yeah. thing. But it's yeah. it's yeah, it's literally just like you get to meet because I think for me, especially in Glasgow, there wasn't that many youngsters. Whereas mm-hmm. um, throughout the rest of Britain, I got to meet a few more younger people like me and just different people and people with closer levels of, of my injury. And you see the the widespread of how everyone deals with it completely differently and meet people that are just having a laugh about it. Or, you know, it just, I don't know. It was, it was it was amazing. It was probably, you know, it was a life-changing weekend for me. I was going down there and I tried every sport. I yeah. remember when I first went in, it was like, I was in awe of all these sports that had been adapted. And mm-hmm. I was like, why don't I why don't I know about this? Why didn't I know that this could be adapted or this could be but you just if you've never never seen it, you have no idea. And honestly I couldn't believe it. I remember the last day we were going down to try athletics I remember just being like, I can't run. And I don't know what you're expecting me to do because <laughs> that's all I thought athletics was. Yeah. And I seen a girl going round in a racing chair and I remember, um being like speechless and that's not something I am very often it's another <laughs> gift I got from my dad I can't just leather on for hours on <laughs> um yeah I was genuinely speechless and I think the reason that I was was because that girl was really she was really fit and active she looked really cool I was by that time I was 15 that's all I cared about was being cool yeah. um and it wasn't a major disability to kind of stay on the face I didn't I never wanted anyone to feel sorry for me you know I want I'm very proud of where I've come from and I'm proud to share my story but I want people to see my story and say gosh wow that's a shame what happened to her but look what she's achieving now um I don't want yeah. just to be known as up or hard that must have been really difficult you know you know I want people to appreciate that but look what you're doing now and that's incredible and when I've seen wheelchair racing it I just knew that that's that's what I wanted to do and that's what I wanted to be and unfortunately it was really expensive I remember going home to mom and dad had been like mom dad don't worry I've got a plan I just (laughs) need four thousand pounds
0: oh wow is that how much (laughs) the chairs are
1: yeah my first racing chair which is was a cheaper chair than than I have now which is um, scary but um yeah yeah, for for all the first bits and pieces it was about four thousand pounds which gosh um yeah it's probably like one of the things I was very lucky that I was brought up a small area because people chipped in and helped and fundraised and um, eventually I got my first chair in um, in
0: 2012. So when you got that first racing chair did you start training is there I don't know is there local clubs or is it sort of on a national level how do you start getting into training and and once you decided that's what you wanted to do what were your next steps? I didn't decide that I wanted to be a
1: Paralympian because I still wasn't aware that that's what I could be okay. Um I was just like this is really fun I want to stay fit and active I always loved sport Mm-hmm. um I like the people that I'm meeting um and that's kind of why I started it and there was a club in Glasgow which I'm still a part of um Red Star and I kind of went to meet that coach and asked them you know would you coach me but I, ju- I just pushed up and down the borders roads Did the you? Little ro- yeah the little road yeah. outside my yeah. and my dad's house I-, yeah. I pushed up and down and it was so hilly and I still laugh today like I, I go out on cycles if we're back home with my, my dad and-, and my boyfriend and I'll literally point out to my boyfriend like I cried on this hill I cried on this hill I cried on this hill because they was so steep it's so hilly yeah, and I literally yeah. was like I'm never gonna get up these hills and and every time I went out I got I got stronger I got faster and yeah every morning before school I, I pushed on the Scottish borders roads um, and then my my mum would then drive me to Tweed Bank track um, mm-hmm. which is a really soft track um, and okay. we would prefer like a really hard track which is called a Mondo it's you know it's just like driving your your car on grass or mud you know you'd rather drive yeah. it on road because it goes faster and it's easier easier con- to control and everything so uh tweed bank is is a tartan track which is really soft so then again i just had to be strong um, and yeah. so yeah. i think uh, yeah i think i thank immensely like the scottish borders for why i am and how i got so good so fast because i I think every day it was just a struggle to get anywhere in
0: your favor (laughs) no absolutely not but it made me stronger so how did you then get into your first competition what was your first chance at competing in something yes my first um my first competition was london mini marathon which is is a race that happens
1: before london marathon so it's a three Mm -hmm. mile race for for under 18 year olds and I remember going down there, my, I remember, I think my coach was like, oh, she'll probably do in about 21 minutes. And I I think I'd done it in about 18 minutes and I came second. And Gosh. I did spend half of that time stopping and waving and thanking people, which <laughs> I didn't tell my coach until the end. And then someone sent him a photo <laughs> of me shaking someone's hand. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs>
0: Properly like, stopped. You weren't even just slowing down. You just stopped. No, no.
1: <laughs> I was just like, I couldn't believe these people came out to watch. And yeah. um, I was just so off like the whole... Um, I think, I don't know, that's something that that's what, I think that's why I love Birmingham so much. And that's why, I, you know, I, I've loved every games where there's been crowds because I love, I don't know. I just love saying thank you. I love that feeling of people being impressed by what I'm doing and what, and it was just, it was so cool. It was so cool that all these crowds had come out to watch wheelchair racing and a sport yeah. that I'm so passionate about and the sport that I think is incredible. And when people are also inspired by my sport, um i feel like that's my job done and that's what makes me really really happy and so yeah so i'd I'd done london mini marathon which Mm -hmm. was um a lot easier than pushing on the scottish borders roads and then yeah after that that was kind of like my my real only race in 2012 my mom and dad took me to watch the paralympic games in london yeah and i remember just being like oh my goodness like i could do this like i remember watching hannah cockcroft and and david weir and thinking oh my goodness like we're in this incredible stadium the Queen Elizabeth Stadium and everyone's screaming on these people and they're winning medals and they're standing in the podium and hearing the national anthem like
0: yeah
1: it's just something that I never ever thought I could ever achieve like I'd never dreamt of that as a child I never knew that that was a possibility to be a sports person um, yeah. able bodied or disabled you know I just didn't really think about that as ever been an opportunity for me or yeah. an option so yeah I watched that and I was just kind of like okay I'm going out you know I want to go to Rio I want to go to to the next paralympic games and yeah. um yeah i done my first ever uh track races in um 2013 um i remember my dad being a typical farmer so like when the weather's really bad wheelchair racers train indoors on things called rollers it's just like a okay. rolling road same as like what a bike's got yeah um and i think they were about 1200 pound and my dad was like i'll make you one
0: I'm like, I'm <laughs> not you that. as well there'll be scrap yeah. line around the farm that is welded together yeah, it's literally yeah.
1: um a combine harvester roller oh brilliant they're so heavy nobody can move them uh, <laughs> yeah again i think that's also another reason why i got so strong so fast
0: because i genuinely couldn't move these things to start with <laughs> um, and i still I use them that. to this day i still oh, I use them to this day that's such a farmer attitude isn't it i'm not paying that i can make that myself i'll um, make and, it i'll
1: weld yeah. it together yeah. and you're like dad just buy me some yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah but i suppose uh overall it's then made you stronger as you say and you've gone on to win multiple medals it's just what, what career you've had al- already it must just be great looking back on what you've done and what's still yet to come yeah it's 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 mad i think um
1: i don't i feel like maybe when i retire i'll probably take a moment and go wow that's really cool i feel like just now i'm like "But right, there's some more so more so more you know i've never ever finished a race and gone that that was perfect there's always mistakes there's like then there's always better equipment or i could be more aerodynamic or i could change this i could change that you know it's the one percent that i could change to get mm-hmm. better and faster and i I feel like the day that i say that was perfect is probably the day that i will retire um, and yeah. so i, I, I I don't know if that's every athlete, but I find it hard just now like to look back and be like, gosh, oh, I've really achieved things because I, I've i not achieved everything that I want to achieve. So like, for me, I'm like, that's great. Right, that's next. Here's what. what's yeah. the next achievement. Super proud of my achievements. Like I, I am super proud of them and I've had an incredible career. You know, I've, I've been double world champion. I've won um, a silver and a bronze Paralympic medal. You know, now a Commonwealth Games bronze medal and I've traveled yeah. all the world and there has been... Incredible, like I've yeah I've raced in front of massive crowds, of raced in front of small crowds, I've raced in front of just my mom and dad, um, yeah. and it's been it's been insane, and it's this world that I never ever thought that was possible, not something that I ever thought I'd do.
0: And what's it like competing at that international level? How do you cope with the pressure? Because obviously you train and train and train for that that moment, and then you get there, and it's the day. How do you cope with the the pressure of knowing that everything is resting on the next few minutes or however long it is you're racing for yeah
1: I don't so much like I think for me um I love training I love the hard work I love um I think because I seen my body at its very lowest and and wondered how my body was ever going to recover like I, mm-hmm. I literally watched my legs with weight to nothing and then yeah. started to watch my upper body gets stronger and stronger. And I love that. Like I really, I'm definitely fully addicted to fitness and fully addicted to getting stronger and being better. And so yeah. I, I love training. I, you know, it's probably also, you know, the farmer grit inside me, you know, I, I, you know, being naturally strong and, and working really, really hard is just something that comes quite naturally to me. The racing wise, whew, that's terrifying.
0: <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it's
1: like, it's literally, you know, hangs in a balance of sometimes 16 seconds like it's it's and it's it's one mistake that's it you know especially in 100 meters you you mess up your start and you're you're out of the race um and that's really terrifying i'm i do get very very nervous and
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um i guess when i was think because i want to do is people so proud and i put a lot of expectations on my shoulder i think obviously saying before that i um yeah, I, I love people watching me, but that's because I want to. do them so proud, you know, and that's a lot of expectation yeah. to have on your shoulders, and yeah, fully absolutely. aware of that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like, I'm I'm sick before every race. I um, mm. get very very nervous, but as soon as I go out to the track, and as soon as I see my family, so my dad whistles because um, I'm a, I'm just a sheepdog to my dad. Apparently, <laughs> um, I'm genuinely trained to the whistle. <laughs> um which is sometimes embarrassing around other people but my dad will whistle and i'll be oh, there's my dad 30,000 people i like, can my dad whistles you i can know pick exactly out. Oh, that's easily oh, not
0: brilliant. a problem at
1: all and yeah um, so my dad will he will literally do yep the one short beep
0: um and i'll blow. Oh, there's my dad um so you just you just know he's got he's behind you then
1: yeah and yeah. at that moment where I think probably like the rest of my family, that's probably the moment that they're most nervous. That's the moment I relax. And then as soon as the mm-hmm. gun goes, like I'm in my element and I love it and I finish, it, I'm like, yeah. let's do that again. And then you make yeah. up list day and you're like, oh no, I need to do it again.
0: Oh, <laughs> it's I'm a build up, I guess, isn't it? Again. It's the anticipation of, of that moment. And then once you're there, it's easier to deal with. But it's it's all the build up to it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I found like I've now found ways to like cope and deal with it. And I think like the one of the biggest thing is just accepting that that's the way I am because I used mm-hmm. to get so frustrated, like, why are you being sick? Why are you mm-hmm. so nervous? And it's like, I'm nervous because it means a lot to me and I want to do well, and mm-hmm. that's okay, and this is the person I am, and accepting that that is the person I am instead of fighting it, because it's, it's just like, I would just put myself down by saying, like, you know, that you're pathetic, this is ridiculous what's happening, instead I, I said to say things like, you know, you know, this means a lot to you, you've trained really hard for this, you're going to be sick and that's okay and then you'll just eat some more food and you'll be fine and i just kind of <laughs> make sure that i'm really organized i lay out my clothes like in order of like what item i put on first i m- make sure that i can control the controllables you know that's all i can do you know I-, I can't control how everyone else is trained i can't control the weather all i can control is my equipment and myself so
0: and i guess that comes from experience as well isn't it now that you've done multiple races and big events you now know your little routines that are going to help you with coping with that stress.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's, it's just all the forgiving, forgiving yourself. Like I think people get so worked up and not being good enough or, or acting a certain way. Why am I acting this way? And instead, it's just like, you know what, you just need to forgive yourself for feeling it's okay to have the feelings and feel a certain way
0: about things. Absolutely. So alongside your medals, you've recently been awarded an MBE as well. Mm. Congratulations. And how did that feel to get that sort of recognition for your contribution to sport?
1: crazy like i remember like my mom's terrible at opening my mail um <laughs> and i was like i was away racing and my dad was there and um mom was like like i could hear her she was like you've had this really exciting letter as she's opening
0: it um <laughs> have, like a royal crest on the front so then yeah. probably killing her yeah
1: <laughs> so she was far too yeah. excited so she's literally yeah. on the phone to be like opening this letter yeah and then um, she's like reading it out, and she's like, "Oh my goodness, you've been given an Oh, my goodness!" And then I am like with my my, my partner and um, my dad, and I am mm-hmm. telling them, and then I am telling someone else, and then she's like, she reads to the end, and she goes, "You are not supposed to tell anybody." Read like, <laughs> 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 the whole letter first, um, but it was just like one of those surreal moments that you you don't ever think that that's something. Do not know? I guess you don't you don't do what you do to to be to be noticed or to be awarded like it's that's not why I do I do what I do because I, I I love my sport and I love what I do um, and yeah. but for someone to to notice what you're doing and say that's really great and you deserve something for your accomplishments that's a nice feeling of course that's a nice feeling anyone to, to win yeah. an award it's it's a really nice feeling so um uh-huh. strange but yeah it's yeah it's quite a strange feeling
0: <laughs> so how, how involved are you on the family farm now I guess it's probably quite hard to fit in round all your training and competitions yeah so
1: I, I I have to lamb one sheep a year or dad says I'll I'll lose the skill apparently <laughs> um so yeah I still go home for a few weeks every lambing season and help out um and make sure that I definitely lamb one sheep a year normally it's more yeah it was it was funny this year because so I would phone my dad if I was struggling and couldn't get a lamb out and you know because if it was a big lamb it, it was it was stuck. My dad will phone me because his hands are too big and it's it's <laughs> not there's no better feeling than when my dad phones me. And then, and it, like, you. yeah. So I literally got that this year. I went home for the weekend, and, and dad phoned me, and he was like, "I need your little hands. Come here." Because <laughs> <As well. laughs> the lamb was just too big. But like, I think I love that moment when it's just me and my dad, like, working out an awkward situation, how to get this lamb out and how to get it out as fast as possible, and to not lose, you know, the sheep or the lamb. And I always look at my dad in that moment, and I'm incredibly proud that we have that connection and we work together yeah. over that thing. And. It's a really, really nice moment, especially when he has to ask for my help <laughs> and when I get out as well.
0: <laughs> it's nice to have that relationship when uh, a lot of farming families have to work together. It gets a bit fraught, especially sort of stressful times like lambing. So it's brilliant you've still got that relationship with your dad, especially during stressful times. So increasing diversity and accessibility in, in farming can only be a good thing. How do you think the farming community could be more accommodating and make agriculture more accessible to everybody?
1: Yeah, I think that's something that's probably. Um it's not something i'm aware about is like farmers with disabilities um mm-hmm. it's i i think i met one woman um when i was in hospital my physio introduced me to a lady that, that was still a farmer and but that's it i've never heard her story since um yep. which i think is pretty ridiculous it should be something that's um celebrated as something that because it's not easy i remember the, the woman that i met she had like a a little pulley system to get her in a tractor and I'm like, brilliant? there must be an easier way yeah. than you hauling yourself up a pulley cord. But I yeah. think that's that's a, that's probably also the farming way. I'll do it myself. I'll find out a way.
0: Yeah, um, she probably but, probably welded herself out like of scrap, didn't she? <laughs>
1: yeah, but I feel like um, it'd be awesome to see more stories. And I think it's it's yeah. um, it's seeing is believing, isn't it? You know, it's um, um, that's that's the main thing. And if you don't hear about it or see it, then people don't know that that's something they can still achieve or do
0: so what sort of adjustments have your family had to make if any to allow you to help out on the farm is there special equipment that you can get you know how does your wheelchair cope with the lambing shed
1: yeah so i've had to get a, a new uh, d- uh, wheelchair with uh, mm-hmm. big chunky tires and okay. a thing called a free wheel which yep. is um it takes off the the front two casters off the ground so you're like on a it's like a bigger wheel on the front okay yeah um because i yeah in the stead i with just a wheelchair like this I used to fall out all like face first because the little casters get caught and then you just fall on your face yeah so um having a chair with a free wheel on the front meaning that Mm -hmm. I can go over like rough terrain is probably like I literally say to any wheelchair user get a free wheel because it's like it will genuinely change your life because you're not like anxious about falling out the front Mm -hmm. also like having a quad with hand controls oh okay was a big big thing you know yeah because I used to obviously just drive my dad's quad and I had to drive it with like a stick and I was like I don't think this is safe so we bought me a quad with with hand controls and things which like made me feel so independent so incredibly independent gates are obviously incredibly awkward but then I have seen the gates that you can just drive up and over um, oh yeah yeah and that's a lot easier as well because like how do you open a gate if you can't get close enough like the amount of gates that I've dented and dad out to me because I just like drive up to open it and then just drive into it
0: <laughs> well a lot of farm gates don't open easily at the best of times do they they're quite often tied with baler twine and, and propped up with a stub at one end and you just yeah I've never yeah. seen a
1: new gate no. I feel like I've never in my life seen they must be new at some point yeah like, they're, they're all rusty now and you have to normally lift them up or stand on them yeah. and yeah exactly totally to open them um yeah I think that's like the the, the few things but there's um there's lots of things that we've just had to like find ways of adaption, like, um, catching sheep. I have to dad, like leaves me a bigger pen at the top and mm-hmm. I can have to chase the sheep into that pen. Once it's in the pen, I then just throw myself on the floor and then just hope I don't get kicked in the face and trying to get it to the ground. Gosh. Um, but I can't obviously I can't catch a sheep in a pen of other sheep. No. Um, I can't corner it. I can't do the whole dodging. I have to get it into a pen and once I've got it in a pen, I can get onto the floor and I can get it down onto the floor myself but I think um for me it was just like I think it was so difficult for my dad I remember the first time that I ever fell off my quad as well um mm-hmm. we were chasing cows and and you know I uh, made the mistake of going too far past its eye line and it obviously darted so I like tried to follow the the cow and dart too and um my bike went one way and I went the other so yeah. I just like fell off and my dad done the whole like oh I wouldn't normally go over and help her but do I help her now? Like and I could see I'm like, oh, uh. um, ah. Yeah. but I think we just, we made so many mistakes. I've ran over my own leg with my quad because my foot oh, fell wow. off. So oh gosh. Now, yeah. Like now my dad's like stapled, like well, nailed like his welly boots. Cause obviously they're a lot bigger than my welly boots. Yes. So he's nailed them onto the foot bits, but cut off the top so I can put my oh. feet inside them.
0: Almost like a bike clip. Yeah. Like, um, I had to hold your yeah. yeah. foot. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. So,
1: so I can yeah. put my foot inside them, but I think it's, I think for anyone that is going back on a farm, it's, you're going to be really frustrated. Like I found it the most like frustrating thing in the world is having to ask for help for things that I could just do on my own. You know, it's probably yeah. going to be difficult for me to run a whole lemon shed on my own. And sometimes yeah. you have to ask for help, but I'm, um, I feel like things could be a lot more adapted if yeah. it was
0: spoken about. Um, and, and safer because you've obviously had to find ways to adapt things yourself and while the methods that you've found are working for you it would be nice if there was safer ways to do it to prevent further accidents like you falling off your quad or, or whatever um, yeah
1: and i think i'd feel a lot more accepted into the environment if there was some like if there there was like a i don't know in the farmers weekly if i opened it up and i could see some adapted equipment yeah. i'd feel a lot more integrated into to the farm and environment because just now it's like you know I, my dream is one day to have a small holding and at this stage I'm like right well I'm probably going to have to get animals from a young age and hand rear them so that when I shake a bucket they'll come to me and attach yeah. to do this and I couldn't have any you know I, I couldn't have um crops because how would I get into a tractor because I've I've never been shown how or seen seen that that's possible
0: yeah and there there probably is things out there but as you say they're not publicized well enough for you to know about them which is obviously a barrier to people n- yeah. not knowing about things or creating their own adaptations which are not as effective as what they could be if somebody had engineered it properly and made things more accessible for you so what drives you personally Sammy then why are you doing what you're doing what drives me do you know what? I love what
1: I do I think that's what drives me um I think again it's, it's my dad and I feel like probably thinking that um i'm just saying this because because of the show that i'm on and uh, you know what we're talking about in farming but yeah. my dad has always taught me that life can be very short or life can be very long so why would you spend any of that time doing something that you don't enjoy and farming really really difficult mm-hmm. um and this is honestly i woke up every day watching a man go to do something incredibly difficult but with a smile on his face with a genuine smile on his face and a genuine passion for what he's doing and I don't think you can f- live a, like a fulfilling life if you don't love what you do. That's why I do it. I don't do it because I I want to min- win 100 million medals. Of course, I want to win medals. you know I want to be the best yeah. in what I do. but I do what I do because I love it, you know yeah. And I, because I love it, I want to be good at it. And because I want to be good at it, hopefully that means I will win medals and, and be the best in the world. But um, ultimately, I'm passionate because, I really genuinely love what I do. I love pushing my body. I love seeing myself change. I love traveling the world and meeting the people that I meet that are genuinely inspiring to me you know, in, in disability sport. You meet some incredible people that were told, gosh, they weren't going to make it past too. And there they are thriving, pushing themselves in sport, pushing their body. And it's an amazing world to be a part of. I think people probably think of uh, um, a world of disabilities, probably maybe they think that it's, a lot of sadness but it's not it's a lot of laugh a lot of giggles you know we take a lot of we take a mick out of each other we play tricks (laughs) on each other we um we have a real laugh and because we're we were all told at some point that we can't and we won't and we are and we are achieving and it's a beautiful
0: thing to be a part of and finally sammy what is success for you and how do you measure it success for me i think is um I think it's
1: it's giving my all to something and um, mm-hmm. I'm not someone that can juggle anything and um, I want to give my all and I want to especially in racing you know I want to finish the race and, and be happy with how I achieved mm-hmm. you know closest to my personal best and, and not judge myself on, on other people or and the success of other people I think that's quite difficult especially for me going into an event and you're number one in the world and you're expected to win gold but then you race and, and you're very close to your personal best and the person that beats you gets personal best you're like okay I, I i can't be angry at that because i that was the success for me because i'm very close to my personal best that person was just better yeah success for me is just being proud of my achievements and achieving what i know i can achieve is is the most important thing to me is knowing that when i do achieve things that i am the best that i can possibly be
0: Thank you so much, Sammy, for taking the time to talk to us today. You've just got such an inspiring story and such a positive outlook on life. It's been brilliant talking to you today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Agriculture. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow and subscribe to our show. Leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find our contact details in the show notes.
1: The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought
0: to you in association with the Scottish Government.